You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I will be reading from verses 25 through 34. The very words of Jesus Christ. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before you sit, um, we're going to dismiss Redemption Hill Kids, but before we do that, um, this is what our kids ages 5 to 9 will be learning this morning, this question, and then together we will answer. So here's the question. Since we are redeemed by grace alone, through faith alone, where does this faith come from? And then together, the grace of faith is a work of the Spirit of Christ in the hearts of the elect where they are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls. Very good. All right, Redemption Hill kids, you are dismissed. Ages 2 to 4 and then 5 to 9, if that serves you. Kids, if you're staying in, as I'm accustomed to saying, you are not a burden. You are a blessing, and you are welcomed in this service. Thank you for being here. We also have a few kids' sermon notes in the hallway along with some totes. I walked in this morning, and uh, Skylar was like, I never know what your facial hair is going to be like when I come to church. <laughs> it was different last week. I think it was different the week before. Uh, just for the record, uh, eighth graders that I teach uh, history and theology to, they voted on this. And so for, for November, this is what you got to look at. <laughs> so they voted. This is what it was. They had options. This is where we're at. All right. In a more serious note, um, 
You know, every Sunday, I am preaching to myself. I'm preaching to you, and I also, I'm also preaching to myself. Uh, in this, this message in particular is certainly me preaching to myself. It, I don't, it is not necessarily true, but it feels like this. I feel like I'm preaching to myself, and you get to listen in. <laughs> um, and I think you're going to see why in a moment. Because I'm going to be very personal with you about the topic of anxiety. And I hope it's a help for you as I'm personal with you, as you process perhaps your own anxious life. So every, every sermon I preach, I have, I have several goals. Uh, some goals are the same in each sermon, and there are some goals that are specific to each sermon. For example, in every sermon that I preach, I want God to be glorified. I also strive to be faithful to what God has spoken in his word, right? In every sermon that I preach, I pray that you would hear from God through the preaching of his word. I pray that it would be the Holy Spirit at work in your heart and not the words and the voice of Sean Powers. I want God, the Holy Spirit, to be at work in your heart. So there are goals of preaching that transcend the book or the passage that I'm preaching from. But there are other goals that are different from week to week. The text for Sunday, for any given Sunday, is determinative of one of the end goals. When we went through the Lord's Prayer, we obviously focused on prayer, but we had a bunch of different subcategories as we slowly walked through the Lord's Prayer. Today, we are looking at the teaching of Christ on anxiety. So, okay, great, we're talking about anxiety, but what is the end goal, right? Where am I trying to lead you? And more significantly, where is Christ trying to lead us? The goal is to allow Jesus, the Son of God, to speak to you through his word, and for God the Holy Spirit to work in your heart to bring comfort and peace if you live an anxious life. The end goal is for you to be spurred on to greater faith in God. I mean, I'm kind of giving the game away on the front end. I'm letting you know what the topic is and the resolution provided for us by Christ. According to Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, which Dean read, greater faith in God is the antidote to anxiety. Now, that seems a very simplistic way to understand what's going on here, and we'll talk about that. But I need, need to pray, ask for God's help, and then allow God's word to speak to our lives and our hearts. Heavenly Father, this morning, more than most other mornings, I just feel um, needy and desperate, need help from you to be faithful, to be true, but to preach on a topic that is that touches all of us. So may your grace be evident this morning, Lord. May we receive the words from our Lord Jesus. May by the power of the Holy Spirit help us to apply and move toward a, uh, in a direction of greater faith which squashes anxiety, which we all experience. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, Matthew 6, 25. 
And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Matthew 6, 27. And why are you anxious about clothing? Therefore, do not be anxious, Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. The Greek word for anxious in this passage is merimanao. It means unduly or overly concerned about something. But I actually think there's more going on here. The anxious person is often negatively affected by circumstances, although not all anxiety is caused by circumstances. In this passage, the anxious person finds it difficult to trust in God for what they need. So I begin this sermon by highlighting all the times the word anxious comes up in our passage because I want you to know that God's desire for you is to beat anxiety. God's desire is for you to live the anxious, free life. In the context of this passage, anxiety is viewed as a sin. Now, some might say anxiety is not a sin, and I would respond by saying that anxiety is probably on a spectrum in the way that we think about it and the way that we define it. But I'm going to define anxiety as a lack of faith in God because that's what we see in the text. It's right there in front of us. Anxiety is a sin, and we are to fight, not even say it a little stronger, we are to militate against the sin of anxiety. And Jesus teaches us how to fight. On Tuesday, I was uh, sitting at a cafe and I text this to my wife, Sharice. I quote, Please pray for me. I am anxious about all the things that need to get done. And the irony is, is that I'm preaching a sermon on anxiety. <laughs> like, you can't make this up. So why was I fighting anxiety this whole last week? You know, I was really, literally fighting against it all week. Fighting against the sin of anxiety. At the end of every October and the first week of November, I, I have this constant battle of fighting against anxiety. Uh, during this time of year, my denominational responsibilities kick into high gear. Uh, as I continue to lead the church, I'm also preparing to lead men in our denomination. I am uh, the chair of our theology committee, and I, we have a big theology day that I, that I put on, so I'm talking with people and coordinating things. And there's a lot to prepare for. So I th actually think in God's providence, this passage landed on my plate during one of the most stressful times of the year. But of course, this is not the only time of year when I battle anxiety. My battle against anxiety has been happening for years. You think your pastor has it all together, don't you? No, not at all. After the Lord saved me in my early 20s, I was constantly battling anxiety, like day over day. And it was this passage that I would read. Like a moth to the light. I'd go back to Matthew 6 over and over. And oftentimes, I would cry and pray to God as I read this particular passage. And I have to say that these words from Matthew 6 still bring comfort to me 
And I know to many of you, when your heart is anxious. I know I'm not the only one who deals with anxiety. I know that I'm looking at a room full of people who battle, just like I do. As I said, the battle against anxiety can be on a spectrum. Some of you know the darkness that exists when anxiety sets in. Some of you know that. You've been there. There have been days when it's like, I don't want to get out of bed because you're anxious. There have been moments of being curled up in, the, in a ball as you're sobbing because of anxiety. Others experience a constant nagging of anxiety. Anxiety is like a low hum that runs in the background. Like, you know it's there, and sometimes you can avoid it, but it's still there in your life. I think the topic of anxiety can marshal in many opinions because we've all experienced it. Over my years of pastoral ministry, I have received multiple responses from people about this particular topic. When anxiety is connected to, say, depression, what are the merits of potentially taking medication, right? When you're anxious, should you pursue professional counseling? Is it possible to help an anxious person when you have not gone through what they've experienced, right? Listen, I I am not here to argue the merits of those questions or perspectives. Yes, I have opinions, of course. We all got opinions, right? But these questions distract from what Jesus is addressing in Matthew 6. Here's what I think is helpful to explore, no matter where you're at on the spectrum of anxiety, or how, however you define it for yourself. I'm here to remind you that God actually sees your tears. God moves in on your heart in the darkest of days. And I know you've been there, because we've all been there. If you are a son or daughter of the Most High God, he meets you when you can't think straight or it seems impossible to make an an ordinary, everyday decision. You know, I might not be in that black hole with you as your pastor, but I am confident in saying God is there. God is there. And because God is with you, there's hope. There's hope. I'm here to point you to God's word to help you see once again that you worship and serve a good and gracious God who does provide everything you need. Everything you need. I mentioned last week that Matthew 6 Verses 25 to 34 is connected to the previous passage on treasures, the treasures you pursue, the question of light and darkness, right? We saw that Jesus challenges your heart by saying that you're either devoted to God or money. The preposition set forth by our Lord is that you cannot serve, or the proposition, excuse me, you cannot serve earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. You cannot be devoted to God and money at the same time. You need to choose. And when you pursue the things of this world, you can be assured that anxiety will set in. You become anxious because what you're pursuing is just never enough. 
I think I used an example of an iPhone. You get the latest you know, gadget, and, and two minutes later, after you've had that one cup of coffee, there's a new gadget, and it looks a little more shiny, and it works better, and you want that one all of a sudden. I know my heart can be like that. There's always more to pursue. And setting your heart on the things of this world will make you anxious. The other implication of linking these passages that God wants you to trust him to provide everything you need. The connection between last week's passage and today is the linking preposition in verse 25, the word therefore. So here's how I summarize the flow of thought from our Lord from last week into this week. Because you are devoted to God and not money, wealth, and treasures, therefore you do not need to be anxious because God will provide for you. I had never been more broke in my life than when I was in seminary and newly married to Sharice. For three years, the goal was twofold. <laughs> One, earn a master's degree. <laughs> Two, survive. Like, the bar was pretty low. <laughs> During this time, Sharice and I had many, many conversations about trying to pay the bills. I mean, many conversations. And I'll never forget the moment when I was about halfway through my degree, and I, said, I offered a suggestion to Sharice. And I said, hey, let's not tithe. Let's not, let, or, or let's reduce what we give to the church. And immediately she's like, no. We will not do that. We will give at least 10%, period. And I'm the one who's in seminary, right? To know these things. The question that day and today is, will I trust God or become anxious because of my circumstances? That was the question then, and it is certainly the question now. Now back to the text. Let's make an observation. In the Sermon on the Mount, we have seen Jesus touch on many topics in only you know, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Of course, we can safely assume that at the time Jesus preached this sermon, he was probably saying more, right? But the gospel writer Matthew summarizes the teaching of Christ, and so a lot of topics are covered in just a short amount of time. In general, Jesus makes a point, and then he moves on. But Matthew seems to, to tap the brakes when addressing anxiety, and perhaps Jesus spent more time preaching on this topic than what, we, what is revealed here. So why does he spend more time on this topic? Why does the gospel writer Matthew make the editorial decision to use a little more parchment on this subject? It seems that our Lord knows what we face every single day. We face a spiritual battle for faith in God and a spiritual warfare has temporal implications. A concern I have about how our culture thinks about anxiety is that it's through a materialistic lens only. The spiritual is disconnected from the material. But Jesus shows us how anxiety is deeply connected to a greater spiritual battle. Here's a helpful passage to remember when you are anxious. We read this in Hebrews 4. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast. Do not let go. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. That's not who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What a good God we serve. What a good God we worship. And because of who Jesus is, we have verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Listen, weak and weary Christian, you can draw near to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. And in the end there, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Again, preaching to myself this morning, you're just listening in at this point. (laughs) Jesus sees my weakness. He sees your weakness. And it says here, he meets you in your weakness. Even more, he sympathizes with your weakness. But it's also in those moments of weakness and anxiety that you're encouraged to draw near to the throne of grace, which is absolutely stunning. Pastor Sean, I'm a hot mess, right? Yep, that is the point. You are a hot mess. I am a hot mess. But we are God's hot mess. God knows why your heart is anxious. So Jesus knows that he needs to illuminate the path that leads the heart away from anxiety and toward peace through greater faith. And the first step on the path toward peace is to draw near to the throne of grace where you receive mercy and grace in your times of need. Here's one more contextual note before we look at some more details of this passage. There is a difference between anxiety and fear. There's a difference here. Sure, there might be some overlap, but they are actually distinct terms. The New Testament has a specific word for fear, phobos, um, which is very distinct from the Greek word for anxiety. For example, I actually have an irrational fear of snakes, right? I hate snakes, like, a lot. And the kids try to put the fake snakes in my bed, and sometimes I'm like, ah, I know it's fake, and here I am, going crazy. I have an irrational fear of snakes. But the thought of snakes does not prevent me from getting out of bed every morning. I can get over that irrational fear. But anxiety seems to be much different from fear, not only in Scripture, but in how we understand our everyday life. There appears to be a depth with anxiety that does something to the heart that disables the opportunity to overcome a fear and embrace unbelief. Listen, I am sure there's a clinical way to describe the difference, but from life experience and being counseled by the Word of God, I think we're headed into the right direction. I think we are seeing it, anxiety, through the eyes of Christ and not through the eyes of a person with a PhD in psychology. So there's many moving parts in this passage. So I want to tackle it by asking three questions. Here they are. What does Jesus identify as the source of our anxiety? What is that source? What makes us anxious? And the next question is, why do we become anxious? Why does that source cause our heart to become anxious? And the third, how do we combat or overcome anxiety? 
So three questions to lead us through this beautiful passage. What, why, and how? So what is the source of our anxiety? In this passage, the source is the things of this world. It is the roof over your head. It is putting food on the table and clothes on your back. In order to identify the source of anxiety, Jesus has us look at his creation. Like We're so consumed with ourselves, and Jesus is like, okay, let me do this. Let me have you look at creation in order to help make the point. Jesus uses birds and lilies as example. Our Lord says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more important than they? Like he's putting the question to us. Everyone needs to survive. The birds are unpredictable and might not have a home, yet God provides for them. And from the perspective of God, how do you think you stack up against the birds? And then Jesus addresses the clothes on your back. Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, going back to the Old Testament, David's son, Solomon, Solomon, King Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon had it all. He had everything. Solomon had everything at his fingertips, including the most excellent clothing. Now, I'm, I'm not a fashion expert, as many of you have figured out, you know, being here two minutes, right? But I can, I can tell the difference between a fine quality of clothing, right? You can feel that, and you're like, ooh, that feels nice. I can figure that out. Well, no matter the quality of shirt or pants, the lilies of the field are dressed better than Solomon and all he, all he had. Now, it seems like Jesus is making an odd point. One could argue that comparing the lilies of the field and the shirt on your back is kind of a non sequitur. What is the logical connection between lilies and clothing? The point Jesus is making is that God provides for the lilies. As a matter of fact, the lilies are arrayed in beauty. Therefore, how much more will God take care of you? You, unlike the lilies are made in God's likeness and image. You are the crown jewel of God's creation. So yes, God will take care of you. Do you want to know what will happen to the lilies and the grass? Here today, gone gone tomorrow, but not you. God's care for you is abundantly more. So we see the source of anxiety, the material things of this world. And it is not just food and clothing. We all know that. The source of anxiety could could come from your workplace. It could come from your home. It might be a desperate desire just to do well in school. A person can become anxious out of a desperate desire just to be approved of, right? There are a thousand reasons why a person might be tempted to anxiety. So I think we can sum up the why of anxiety from Matthew 6 with one word, like survival. <laughs> Everyone needs to eat. Everyone needs clothing on their back. Food and clothing are the basic needs to survive. But we extend our perceived need to survive into other categories as well, right? As you read Matthew 6, verses 25 and 34, we read these words between the example of the birds and the lilies. Jesus says in verse 27, And which of you... By being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. 
depending on my mood, I might take verse 27 as a rebuke (laughs) or a reality check. Regardless of how I feel, the principle is the same. What is the advantage of being anxious? Answer, anxiety offers no benefit to your life. None. The days of your life, the number of days, are not impacted as you worry about food, clothing, or other material items. They're not impacted. So why why worry? Here's another story um, from my time in seminary. Probably see a pattern now, right? It was my third year of seminary, and I came the closest to a panic attack caused by anxiety. At least, maybe it was, wasn't, I don't know. Here's what happened, and I'm going to tell you why I think I was anxious. I was taking an advanced Greek class. Um, I'd taken all my requirements, and I just wanted to take more Greek. And I got a little bit over my head, and I was studying um, for a final And I desperately wanted to receive a good grade. But there were aspects of the class that I had difficulty understanding. And then one afternoon, I absolutely broke. Just broke. I remember Sharice was at work. Um, I was at the apartment. And all of a sudden, I found myself in the bathroom, sobbing, curled up in a ball, holding my knees. Some of you have been there. The episode seemed like it lasted for hours. You might be wondering, how does that cause anxiety in your life, right? It was a challenging moment in which I had to take a hard look at my soul. So here's how I diagnosed my heart from that moment. I desperately wanted to be a great student. I wanted others to think well of me as a student in seminary, right? And then I feared that a failure in this class might result in others thinking less of me. It was an irrational thought, (laughs) certainly. Long story short, I just wanted to be liked. My desire to survive at that moment was connected to other people's perception of me. So why did I go into the dark hole of despair? I'm sure there might be several conclusions, but I think Jesus hits the proverbial nail on the head. He says at the end of verse 30, O you of little faith. Before reading the rest of of the passage, let's ask this question. While I was in the bathroom crying and clutching my knees, did I have little faith? Absolutely. I lacked faith. Is it also true that in my tears, God extended his grace and mercy toward me? 1,000%. 1,000%. For sure. It is God's grace and mercy that got me through a difficult season where I lacked faith. Notice we sang earlier, he will hold me fast. He, God, will hold Sean Powers fast by his grace and mercy. Because if you're anything like me, there are times where faith is weak and we need God to hold us because our grip seems to slip sometimes. Jesus continues to say in verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, 
What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Oh, Sean Powers of little faith. I was more concerned about a letter grade and the effects of that letter grade than I was with being faithful to God with what was right in front of me. I don't know about you, but when I become overly self-focused, insecurity grows. When insecurity grows, anxiety grows. When anxiety grows, faith in God dwindles. But Jesus says to you and me, trust me. Trust me. A reason why anxiety can grow is because of unbelief, a lack of trust. Anxiety grows in the realm of unbelief. Here's a picture of how anxiety spoils the heart and cultivates unbelief. Let's say you got a, a glass jar in front of you, right? It's full of water. The jar is your life and the water is your faith. But what happens if I take one drop of dye and put it into that jar? You see it spread. It begins to spread. That one drop of dye begins to affect the entire jar of water. Anxiety can spread just like that. Anxiety can spread in the midst of unbelief. Or to use another example, anxiety is a tick that slowly sucks belief out of the body and soul. Look, I know that the reason why our hearts become anxious is more nuanced than to say, have more faith. Right? I don't, want to, I don't want you to leave to hear me say, have more faith and everything is solved. I understand things are more nuanced and our lives are complicated and messy. I get that. A reason why anxiety can grow is that unbelief and anxiety grows in this realm, right? But we have to acknowledge that the next step on the path toward increased faith, which leads to peace, is to say, I might lack faith in God right now for blank. I mean, an argument can be made that the second main point of this passage is that battle for greater faith in God. Sure, we are highlighting anxiety, but we cannot stay there. So let's approach the struggle against anxiety through the lens of the gospel. A person who is saved by grace through faith continues to persevere by faith. Every day you wake up, you are in a battle for greater faith, which means you are also in a battle against unbelief, which is, again, that root of anxiety. And the primary way to beat anxiety is to not chop down the tree. But you need to take out the roots. you got to get after the roots of unbelief. This is a, maybe an unpopular opinion, and you're free to disagree. But I have a deep Biblical conviction about this opinion. The battle against anxiety begins and ends with the fight for greater faith in God. Yes, there might be additional steps that need to be taken. There are ordinary or common graces in this world that we can tap into. But unless the battle against anxiety is framed out through the lens of faith in Jesus Christ, then I fear that lasting peace will just remain elusive. If you are in Christ, you have been given everything you need to battle anxiety, the anxiety in your life. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We talk about a man who is beaten and imprisoned. And even he's Satan. I have fought the good fight. 
faith. I know there are other steps on the path toward peace brought about by faith, but I'm not sure that the peace that you are looking for can be obtained without saying to the self, oh, you of little faith. So be honest with yourself and fight the good fight of faith. So what is now the source of our anxiety? We've kind of seen it already. The things of this world, food, clothing, that letter grade from a New Testament Greek final, a desperate desire to please others, acceptance from the world, not being able to achieve goals, perhaps unrealistic expectations. Again, we can go back to the sermon from last week and see that we can become anxious over heavenly treasures and heaven, or excuse me, earthly treasures and earthly wealth. There's a myriad of reasons why we become anxious. And anxiety can cause leaky faith. So the question now becomes, how do we combat anxiety? That's a good question. How do we combat it? I think Jesus gives us an answer. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So from this verse, I have several thoughts about how we can combat anxiety. First, seeking the kingdom of God requires faith. Because seeking God's kingdom involves faith, we must take an axe to the root of unbelief. I said it once, and it's worth stating again, that you need to grab the axe and begin to chop. But in addition to the axe, you might need a shovel. You need to get at the roots. And that shovel doesn't go deep enough, go rent a bobcat. <laughs> Just take that sucker out. <laughs> Let it, get it out of there. Second, when you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, then what follows is everything you need to live in God's kingdom. As you trust God, he will provide everything you need. He will not provide everything you want. That's prosperity gospel. He will provide everything you need. Perhaps thinking about living in God's kingdom in light of eternity. The way you live after the second advent of Christ should be demonstrated right now. Right? How we live then, after Jesus returns, we should be doing right now. Third, in terms of combating anxiety, we need to seek God's righteousness. So what does that mean, right? Throw that around a lot. What does righteousness mean? God's righteousness means recognizing that you cannot please God in your sinful state. That's Romans 8.8. 8. You need to turn from trying to justify yourself by your good deeds and instead seek the mercy of God. There should be a growing desire to be transformed in the mind, Romans 12.2, and conformed into the image of Christ, Romans 8.29. The righteous life, at least the way that God defines it, is to fight against the flesh, including anxiety, and pursuing a Christ-like character. There's a fourth point that we can take away from verse 33 as we consider what it means to combat anxiety within God's kingdom. In faith, seeking the kingdom of God will require reprioritizing your life. It requires reprioritizing what you do with your time, what you do with your money. When you seek the kingdom of God, you, in faith, will squash unbelief and anxiety, and you will receive a peace that is only found in Christ. But sometimes that means stepping back and being like, okay, what do I re need to reprioritize? Because in God's kingdom, that is what he's asking me to do. Because the way that I've been prioritizing things has been causing an immense amount of anxiety within my life. I know that the word anxiety has become a loaded term. We all know that, right? 
as I've said, some might consider anxiety on a, on a spectrum. But I'm attempting to define it in a way that Christ defines it here in Matthew 6. The way Jesus defines anxiety in Matthew 6 is a lack of faith. Therefore, we are encouraged to fight for faith. We are to fight for a greater trust in God. We are encouraged to trust God that he will provide everything that we need. Now, I'm going to end with another passage that has had an impact on my life. It's a particular passage that I often pray over other people with. It's from Philippians 4. Just right out of the gate. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Kind of qualifies that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You get to go to God with your requests. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. If you are tempted toward anxiety, I would encourage you to memorize this passage from Philippians. You see how he switches gears from verse 6 to verse 7. Do not be anxious. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and guard your mind. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.